Welcome to SECC. We pray that you are blessed today as you listen. 1 Corinthians 8 Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you have this knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sit against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. Well, tomorrow is called Freedom Day, or it's so-called Freedom Day, we should call it. As of tomorrow, all the legal restrictions for COVID regulations are due to be removed. And when Boris announced that, well, he announced it a long time ago and sort of re-announced it just a week or so ago, many people cheered, didn't they? Um, albeit kind of briefly, because most of us now realised just how complicated freedom is going to be. For example, will you wear a mask in shops? Wear a mask on public transport or to church? Is it right to wear a mask to church? Or should you not wear one to church? Now the legal restrictions have been eased. If someone asks you to put a mask on, are you morally, morally obliged to put it on, even if you don't want to? And what if you don't want to? But they want you to. Who gets to choose when or where we wear our masks? Should I shake someone's hand or give them a hug, even if I'm uncomfortable and would rather not? Is it impolite? Now, we're out of COVID, we're out of COVID restrictions. What about my rights compared to my social obligations? What is more important, my rights or my social obligations? We're realising, aren't we, or we will be realising very soon, the price of freedom. We're going to find ourselves in a situation quite quickly as individuals where personal rights and desires of us will clash with the personal rights and desires of others. And it's likely to be a very difficult, tricky new landscape to navigate. However, how we handle the next few weeks is going to be key for us as Christians about how we grow unity and show brother, sisterly love and care to each other. And so this morning, I wanted to sort of speak into that and this situation we find ourselves, because it's likely to be quite complicated over the next few months. Some of us will cheer and want to embrace these freedoms 
without legal restrictions. Others will want to keep some of the regulations and keep the sort of spirit of the recommendations, even if the legal bit has been lifted. And it's going to be really quite key how we treat each other over the next few months. But praise the Lord for his word. His word is wonderful. And God's word has pretty much, uh, it really is a mirror to hold up to every situation and problem and question we find ourselves in our life. There's something about everything in this book and we're going to head to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning and this situation that's so similar to what we're going through not should we wear masks or not but around the issue of eating food offered to idols at a pagan temple James uh, read that to us a moment ago uh, a moment or two ago but the Christians in Corinth had a very tricky situation to navigate was it right to eat food that had been offered to a, a pagan god at a pagan temple? Or was it a sin to eat them? Some Christians said it was a sin. Others said it was fine. How did they work that out? How did they live together? A bit of context about the church in Corinth. If you're not sure, if you've never read the book of Corinthians, uh, if you have, you're probably thinking, what on earth is going on in this book? It's very, very confusing. Well, the church and the Christians in Corinth suffered from many, many issues. The Christians there had a, a kind of twisted, slightly warped view of what it meant to be a good, strong Christian. They also had great pressure from their culture that invaded the church community. In a sense, every church suffers with those two things if it's not careful. There was a, an internal tension as well. There were some Christians in the church who considered themselves super-Christians, elite Christians, Christians that understood it. Some of those Christians had an obsession with their rights, we're so superior. This is what the rights of a superior Christian look like. And they kind of looked down upon those Christians that they considered weaker, who didn't have the same superiority of them. That's always a danger, I think, within the Christian community. Uh, those that, have been, uh, that, that feel like they've really understood and grasped it can often look down upon those who are struggling on, uh, who are just maybe new to the faith or haven't moved past a particular issue or don't know as much as they do. Uh, and that's a great shame when Christians kind of divide up like that. The situation then uh, of Corinth, which we're looking at in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, is around what happened at the pagan temple. So the pagan temple, they would offer parts of an animal in pagan worship, and then the rest of that animal would be sold at the marketplace for anyone to buy. Or you could eat the rest of that animal at the banqueting halls, um, or the food halls, um, it's not quite Marks and Spencer, um, at the temple itself. So there's a kind of communal element where you could buy or you could eat some of these meat offered to idols, um, where half of it had been offered to the idol and some of it then was to eat afterwards. And the question was, was it okay to eat the meat of that animal that had been sacrificed to a false pagan god? And so there, there are kind of two sides to this argument. When the Corinthians talk about it, they, they were talking about it with a kind of strong versus weak mentality. Those of us who are strong Christians have got a sort of superior knowledge, chapter 1 and chapter 4. Um, if you've got the Bible open in front of you, which I hope you do, um, you've got these uh, quotes. So it says, now about food, sacrifice to idols. This is Paul, of course, writing a letter to these Christians. We know that all, we all possess knowledge. That's in quotes, which is obviously attributed to a quote that the Corinthians would have said. Paul goes on to say, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. And then in verse 4, we get another quote. So then about eating meat, eating food, sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no one but God. The Corinthians, uh, many of them had understood quite rightly 
um, that, that they understood about God. And they understood that there is no pagan God. These gods don't exist. They're non-existent beings. There's only one God, uh, Yahweh from the Old Testament, the God of the Bible. So they had this superior knowledge. They understood what was actually happening in the world. But then they had this obsession with rights. And if you go on to chapter 9, verses, well, chapter 9, the whole of it, but verses 1 to 4, Paul begins to address this idea of rights and how rights can sometimes be wrong and how actually just because you have a right to something doesn't mean you have to have it. You think how we speak in the 21st century, that's my right. But Paul will go on to say to these Corinthians, you know, I could ask for this or I could ask for that, but I won't. So a right isn't necessarily something you should have. So that's, that's kind of the, the issue in Corinth. The strong Christians who gain this truthful understanding about pagans and meat offered to idols and then their obsession with rights. And then you had this kind of other group, this is how the Corinthians framed it, the weak Christians who still had this false, this kind of hangover understanding of pagan worship. And so they saw meat offered to pagan, pagan gods as something you shouldn't eat, you shouldn't touch, that for a Christian it was inappropriate. And so you kind of got this clash between the strong Christians and those that were considered weak Christians because of their former understanding. And we can go to chapter 8, verse 7, uh, just for a verse, that hints of what these kind of so-called weak Christian thought. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. So that's the kind of tension there. But we begin to understand as we go through this chapter, indeed through the whole book, is that sometimes rights can actually be wrong. My mum used to say, two wrongs don't make a right. But sometimes two rights can make a wrong. If you're two rights, that is. In verses 4 to 6, Paul agrees with the Corinthians that actually they are correct. But because a meat has been offered to a pagan god at a temple, actually because those gods don't actually exist, there is only one God. Therefore, the meat offered at that temple is quite okay to eat. But what Paul does in these couple of verses is begin to move the conversation away from food, but onto something much deeper. Let me read those verses to you. He says, So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in all the world, and that there is no one but God. For even if there were so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. There is what, but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things come, came and through him whom they live. So they're right. It's quite okay to eat food sacrificed at a pagan temple because that pagan God doesn't exist. There's only one God and he made everything. But Paul begins to move the issue away from is it right or is it wrong to eat meat at a temple? Because the issue isn't actually food. He'll pick this up again in chapter 10, verse 23 to 33. But these Corinthians have become obsessed and focused on the knowledge about whether it's technically okay to eat meat or not. But the knowledge they should be focusing on isn't around food, but around the very character of God. They should be understanding who God is and then living out a reflection of God's character not in what they eat, but how they treat other people, especially those who disagree with them. You see, I wonder, do we focus on enjoying our rights sometimes without going without them for the benefit of other people? In verse 8, Paul says this, But food does not bring us near to God. 
We are no worse off if we do not eat, no better if we do. In other words, well done. You've understood correctly that it's all right to eat meat from the pagan temple. Well done. But that doesn't commend you to God or not commend you to God. In fact, what commends you to God is how you treat each other, essentially, is what Paul's going on to say. You see, verse 1 shows that the Corinthians have become arrogant in their freedom, their understanding of religious freedom. Knowledge puffs up. This knowledge they've got that they think makes them superior has, in fact, made them arrogant, has puffed up their sense of pride. Look how spiritual we are. They've missed the message. Verse 3, and then verses 9 to 11, Paul says, But whoever loves God is known by God. If you'd loved God and understood God, you would be known by him, therefore you'd live it out. Verse 9 says, Be careful, however, that you do not exercise your rights, and the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. In other words, the one who thinks it's wrong to eat meat at an idol, for them, that's kind of where they're at with that. If they see you doing, if they see you kind of riding over their, their misunderstanding, they too will make decisions that for them are wrong. And Paul drills this message home in verse 12 to 13 when he says this, when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. As we get to the end of this chapter, Paul moves it from it's not about what you should or shouldn't eat at a temple. It's about what you eat and the effect it has on your brother and sister in Christ, who isn't where you are in their understanding. And if you ignore where they are, eat anyway, and cause them to stumble or stutter in their faith or fall, then that is a sin. And in fact, you're sinning against Christ, Paul says in chapter 12. It reminds me of Jesus' own words, where he talks about if any causing one of these little ones to stumble, it'd be better for you to have a millstone thrown around your neck and be thrown into the river and drown. Serious stuff. But if we abuse our rights at the expense of our brothers and sisters who aren't where we are, that is really serious, Paul's saying. In fact, Paul says in verse 13, I would rather starve then cause my brother or sister to stumble in their faith. So, COVID-19 and the changes to rules mean that the government, for a while perhaps, have put the onus on businesses and organisations, individuals and churches, to decide for themselves what they should follow and how strongly. And whilst we are pleased that the government is giving up that power, because we don't think they should have it for too long, it does mean that we need to work out what we need to do. Should we wear masks? Should we enjoy close contact no matter what anyone says? We will inevitably clash with those that want to keep their masks on and socially distance and those who want to take them off and who want to start hugging. In this situation, many people will no doubt appeal to the uh, government guidance and say the guidance says this or the guidance doesn't say this. Others will point to the spirit of the guidance and say, well, the guidance says this, or it, and it kind of secretly means this, the spirit of the law. Who is right? The answer is simply both. And as Christians, as we come out of COVID-19, we need to see this not as something to understand correctly, 
but to see this as an opportunity to practice how we treat each other better. How we deal with each other over the next few weeks and months is going to be actually a really healthy thing if we do it right. We will learn what it means to care for our brother and sister in Christ, how we understand each other and what we do or don't do at the expense of our rights for their faith and their health. And so as we come out of COVID-19, or come out of this bit of COVID-19, let's use this not as another thing to be despair at, but as a way of practicing how to really love each other. Not to think of what we want to do, but what would they want me to do? And maybe live for them, live for our brothers and sisters and bring real unity to this church. May God build us as we come out of these regulations in a way that he didn't build us or couldn't build us when we're in the midst of them. It's something to think about. God bless. So we've come to the end of our time together. I hope you've enjoyed our service this morning. I hope you've sung as well. Um, and I hope you've enjoyed being together. Um, finally, the shelves behind me make a bit of sense uh, because of what we've spoken about for 1 Corinthians chapter 8. But have a wonderful week. And may you know God's blessing and protection this week. But let's close with a short prayer. Father God, we offer up all that we've said and done this morning. And we pray that everything we've said, Lord, will glorify you. Everything that's happened will bring your people together. And I pray your blessing, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ and every single person watching this video. Lord, you'll be with them in the coming week. Protect them, keep them safe, and give them a fresh revelation of who you are. So they might live, Lord, and honour you in everything they say and do. And we thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.